At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 275th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Healthy food is something everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWANTTOGARDEN.COM and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is teaching skills to others about the food revolution. We are talking to returning guest Gianicles Caldwell about cheese making basics. Gianicles is the main cheesemaker, milker, and owner of Fiola Farms, a licensed dairy located on 24 acres in southern Oregon. Her farm is well known for his artisan aged raw milk cheeses, as well as classes on small dairy, goat husbandry, and cheesemaking at all levels. Her most recent book, Mastering Artisan Cheesemaking by Chelsea Green Publishing, has received praise and awards from all levels of the cheese world for her writing and photography. Welcome back to the show, Gianicles. Thanks. Absolutely. So we got to know you when you first joined us for podcast episode 255 from July 1st of 2017, and you also shared a lot of great ideas about holistic goat care. Can you tell us what inspired you to start making your own cheese? It was kind of a two-fold uh, inspiration. First, I had grown up making as much of our own food as we could. Um, I mentioned before, but on our farm that I grew up on, we grew everything we ate except for sugar and salt. Wow. And it, Yeah, so we had some dairy cows and milked them. Um, my mom tried her hand at cheese making. Um, but we made mostly yogurt and some other easier dairy products. Uh-huh. And and uh, it was just kind of ingrained in me to make what you could. Then there was also the issue back in the early 90s, excuse me, late 90s, when I started being more interested in this, of uh, recycling. I wanted oh, yes. to be able to recycle packaging. And at that time, you couldn't recycle most many of the plastics that you can now, so yogurt containers and things like that. So I was making our own yogurt for quite some time, and then we got to a point at our small farm in Fallbrook, California, where my husband was stationed as a Marine on his final tour of duty, and where we had a little bit of land, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get a cow again, because I loved cows, Uh and I loved being able to get that milk, you know, and feed the family. And so I started looking at little cows, but our youngest daughter at the time was very small, and she wanted to have a hand in caring for them. Oh, right. So, yeah, I thought, oh, they're just going to run her down, so what about a goat? And ended up getting some goats, and uh, but before that, I realized we would have more milk than we could probably drink. 
so don't want to waste, make cheese. And got some books on making cheese, and there weren't very many out there at the time, just really one that was good, and that's Ricky Carroll's iconic home cheese making, uh-huh. which is still kind of the gold standard. And making cheese was so much fun. I just, it was so easy, so much easier than I expected. And the ability to then share that food with your friends and neighbors for parties, and it's just is very fulfilling. Right. So that that kind of led us down that path. And then when we realized we could come back to this piece of family land, and thought, well, what would we do? Well, maybe we could make cheese. Wow. And it kind of all happened from there. <laughs> nice. So you <laughs> you have goats. Yes. Now we have goats. Yeah, and you have goats. And what kinds of milk can you make cheese out of? You can make cheese out of most milks. I, you know, reindeer, water buffalo, uh, camel, most of the milks, horses, uh, but the most commonly harvested milks are going to be goat, sheep, and cow, mm-hmm. and all of those, you can make virtually all the same cheeses. There's really, that's one of the, the myths I like to try to debunk is that you need a goat cheese recipe, you need a sheep's milk cheese recipe. Uh... You just need to know how to make certain types of cheese, and then how to work with different types of milk. And you can start at the simplest level with that. Uh, It's the best way to get good at anything is to start basic and get some, yeah, get some confidence and build on that. So this, this newer book, Mastering Basic Cheese Making, I wrote as a tutorial of walking you through all of that where you start with a simple process mm-hmm. and then each lesson builds on the previous so that you by the time you're done if you go through that book mostly in sequence <laughs> right. you will understand so much about making cheese that recipes almost become unnecessary mm. nice Okay. Kind of like learning to cook, make soup, you know? Right. You start with a recipe, and after a while, you don't pull out a recipe for making soup. <laughs> you just make soup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just make soup. Okay, so <laughs> what kinds of cheese can we make? Obviously, there's, you know, hundreds of kinds of cheese out there. Could we make hundreds of different kinds? It's just the recipe, you, right? Yeah, well, it's a process. There are three basic processes for making cheese. And within those three, there are many different types of cheese. Mm -hmm. The most complicated process would be the type that makes your hard-aged cheeses that you can slice, and cheddar and mozzarella and Parmesan, those three iconic, well-known cheeses are Mm -hmm. always a good example of that. And that's not where a person should start, nor should they start with blue cheese, which is very complex, Mm -hmm. and uh, the white bloomy rinds like uh, brie and camembert. Those are also very complex. I actually wrote my more advanced book first. Uh, I was looking, it's called Mastering Artisan Cheese Making. And mm-hmm. I wrote it because I was having trouble understanding all of the science and wanting to put it all down in some organized fashion. And I kept waiting for, there are plenty of more people, plenty other people out there that know slash knew more than I did at the time. Right. And I thought, well, they should, they should write that book. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, and then after writing two other books, I realized, oh, it's not always, it's not just knowing a subject, it's wanting to write that makes you able to write a good book. Amen so, to that. Yeah, yeah, so I love doing research, 
So I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to get all the academic books I can and try to put this down in a sensible fashion for non-academics like myself mm-hmm. and and learn it. So that, nice. that was the, the more advanced book. But then after I completed that, I started realizing for most people, including probably myself back in those early days, uh-huh. that's a tough place to start oh, with yeah. all the science. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, let's just back off a little bit and write a basic book, even though there are a lot of basic books out there, that would be the way I would teach somebody, mm-hmm. which is usually, which is different than most books. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the mastering basic cheese making, which is where we should start, right? For most folks, the only time I recommend the other one as the, as the best place to start is if you're already doing a lot of fermenting and tracking acid production, and or you're a uh, winemaker or a, or an advanced sourdough maker, where you you really get all the science and you or you're really into all the science. Yeah. But uh, you know, a lot of us don't think we're good at science until we we find <laughs> out we've been doing science all along. All our lives, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the other, this uh, the basic one is meant to nurture you into understanding that to where it's a you you can feel good about it. Yeah, excellent. More quickly. <laughs> yeah, excellent. All right, great. So I live here at the urban farm. I don't have anything that makes milk. I have things that make eggs. But, yep, yep. <laughs> but but no milk. How do if I don't have my own goats? You know, where do I start? Well, you can, luckily, you can make some pretty darn good cheese from grocery store milk. What? And also, uh-huh, that's how I started. Wow. I, I started practicing before I got the goats. And um, also, you know, those years of making yogurt and an Indian cheese called paneer, uh-huh. grocery store milk works just fine. Wow. You can make almost every cheese from it. And I'll give you some parameters for what to look for in that milk. Oh, please. But... Yeah, you're, you're going to know, though, that that cheese isn't going to be quite as good as if it were made from a, a farm-fresh milk. Mm-hmm. But I tell people it's also as if you're – pretend you're learning to sew. You're not going to maybe use your very best silk to practice making your first garment on. Right. You're going to use some cotton or some muslin. So don't worry about it. You know, just get some milk and get started. So hold on. So it's it's as easy as going and buying some grocery store milk to make yep. some cheese. Wow. Yeah, so the first cheese, yeah, the first cheese I teach to people and uh-huh. I'll be I'll be doing that come at, I do that throughout the year at the various events I go to. Right. Is is a kind of a if you've had a paneer, which is an Indian cheese, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a whole group of cheese cheeses that are made simply by heating milk, adding acid, lemon juice, vinegar, something like that, to curdle it. Uh Then you drain those curds and press it. And you have queso fresco, paneer, lithium white cheese, or a whole bunch of cheeses like that. Wow. And they're super super versatile, very high in protein, and tasty, you know. So it's a, yeah, my goal with with that is you don't even need to order anything. Everything you need to, to make that cheese you either have or you can pick up on the way home. Got and it. it's a, it's surprisingly good cheese. Yeah. So, yeah. So so I have this memory a few years back. Some friends of mine had some goats. And so I went and picked up a half a gallon of goat milk, fresh goat milk from them. I brought it home uh-huh. and I heated it up very slowly. 
and at some point I added lemon juice. Yeah. And there was a, uh, you know, there was a thermometer in it, and I didn't want it to get to boiling, so it only got up to what 99 degrees or 100 degrees or something like that, and then the cheese kind of curdled. I guess spontaneously, it's called... yeah, curdled. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. it sounds like this is where we start. Yes, definitely, it's the place to start. It's it's pretty much ensured success, uh-huh. and 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 also just a very useful product. Yeah. And that's the thing to remember too. You you want any product you make for your home to be something you're going to use. Right. And some of these some of these more complex cheeses where you're going to have to age them for a year or two. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you might eventually get into that and have a lot of fun, uh-huh. but. At first, the point is making a product you can use. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, for those types of cheeses, there's a, so they're called a high heat added acid. There are varying temperatures to which you will heat your milk, mm-hmm. including you can boil it. Oh, wow. The okay. hotter, the hotter you get the milk, the thicker the texture of the curd will be. Uh, I wonder And the about higher that. the protein content. Also, oh. the less acid you'd need. So, if you want a really... Uh, a cheese you can slice and fry, and all of these are going to be non-melting cheeses. Okay. You know, so you can make this paneer, you can press it, you can slap a slice on the grill, and it's going to grill like a steak. It's it's a real cheese steak. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's the the one end of it, and then if you add the acid at a lower temperature, mm-hmm. you're going to get a tender, light curd yeah. that you could use more like um, you know, in as ricotta. In, a, mm-hmm. in um, Italian foods and cannolis and things. So how long does this whole process take? Oh, gosh, I do it in 45 minutes on yeah. the stage. Mm-hmm. So, to eating, from, right. from a jug of milk to eating it. Wow. All right, mm-hmm. cool. And you said <laughs> things that you can pick up on the way home. What do I need? So you're going to look for, grab yourself a gallon of whole pasteurized but not ultra pasteurized milk Mm -hmm. and it will say on the label if it's ultra pasteurized most milk isn't so get your gallon of milk about three or four lemons go on home juice the lemons put the milk in a pot stir it constantly because it's going to scorch if you don't oh right exactly yep when it comes to a boil you don't even need a thermometer for this you can tell when milk boils right Yep. When it comes to a boil, turn it off, drizzle your lemon juice in there while you stir slowly. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it forms a curd and the whey, the watery portion, looks pretty translucent, right. you stop adding lemon juice and you stop stirring. Then you pour it through a piece of fabric to drain it. Oh, yes. And that can be, it can be cheesecloth that you order, but it can also be a used tea towel that's kind of getting thin. Mm-hmm. Anything that holds the curd in and lets the way out will work. Oh, and then you make a little bundle of that, put, put some uh, soup cans or something on it to press it. Oh, and right. 45, yeah, 45 minutes later, unwrap it and put it in the fridge, and then it's ready to go. Nice. My favorite way to, to then serve it for first-time folks is to uh, fry it. Fry it in some olive oil and put a little salt on there and just, you know, cheese is good, but fried cheese is even better. <laughs> wow. Now, I've never <laughs> tried that. I'm going to have to, so I'm going to have to go get some, I'm going to have to go try this now. And, oh, good. And you then better. fry it. Yeah. Well, I've done goat yep. cheese before, and so what I'd probably end up doing is finding a, 
you know, I've, I've got people here in the valley that I know that make, you know, that raise goats. I can go get some fresh goat cheese and start there. That's I can do that, right? Yep. Yeah. Cow milk, goat milk, any milk you can come by. Yeah. Yep. They'll all have a slightly different qualities, but they'll all they'll all work equally well. You can use skim milk if you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a fan of whole fat products. Yeah. You know, the fat's there to help you absorb the minerals mm-hmm. in the you know the vitamins in the fat. Yeah. So. Uh, but if folks are averse to that, they can use skim milk. Right. Yeah. So um, you have be- two beautiful books. Tell us about them and what's the, what's the difference. I know you touched on it briefly, but let's. I, I'm I've got in front of me mastering basic cheese making. Who's this for? That's for anybody who wants to get started in making cheese, or might have a kit sitting at home. Mm-hmm. Might have tried making cheese once with a little bit mixed results or even just a lot of questions that weren't answered by another book. Uh-huh. You know, I try to, try to really, having had all those questions myself and having a fairly good memory, uh, I tried to answer those as I went through that process for the basic book. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Mastering Artisan Cheesemaking, the, the thicker, more advanced book, it's a great reference even if you never get become advanced, uh-huh. uh, but it's also if you want to take it a next step. Yeah. It also goes through it with basic cheeses, starting out, starts you out with those, but in a much more complex uh, presentation right. and explanation. So it's a great one if you're a commercial cheesemaker. Uh, we get people who are studying for the certified cheese professional exam oh, wow. with the American Cheese Society. They use it as a reference. Uh, even if they're not going to be a professional cheesemaker, you need to understand cheese to sell it. So. Right, exactly. Yep, exactly. Yep. so that, that book is good for them. Yeah. So both these books are absolutely beautiful books. We've got Master... I've, I've been very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mastering Basic Cheese Making, The Fun and Fundamentals of Making Cheese at Home. These are personal lessons from a master cheesemaker, and this is by New Society Press. Your other book is Mastering Artisan Cheesemaking by Chelsea Green Publishing, both yes. excellent publishing houses. So in your Mastering Basic Cheesemaking book, so I'm, I'm kind of thumbing through it now, and you've got it broken down in lessons. Uh, lesson yes. one is whole milk ricotta. Pretty much that's what we just made in the last yes. chat, right? Great. Well, then yeah. the, next, the next one is uh, uh, mascarpone. How is that mascarpone, different? Mascarpone, yeah. Well, that is, so if you might, you might notice there's a little recap at the end of every lesson. Mm-hmm. So at like the end of the first lesson there, I discuss what we just did and then what we'll do next so that you can apply some different thoughts to it. So in the mascarpone, you're using cream instead of milk ah, mm-hmm. to do almost the same thing, but the results are very different right. because it's cream. And it's the milk proteins that coagulate Mm -hmm. when you add the acid. When you use cream, you have hardly any protein. So the resulting cheese is just this thick, creamy wonderfulness. (laughs) But it's then to get you to start thinking about uh, proteins versus fat and how you can control the texture of your product simply by changing the fat content get different results just based on protein and fat content. Right. Wow. Okay, good. So that that was uh, page 50 and 51. By the way, on page 51 of this (laughs) book is a beautiful 
Uh, you said mascarpone. Yeah, that's how I. You know, I'm not Italian, and I'm really bad with accents. But I think that's. I believe that's the way you say yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's actually mascarpone. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So then, I, then I flip to the next lesson. Lesson three is paneer. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically what we discussed first. Uh huh. So the ricotta would be the at a little lower temperature, so oh, less than one. Right. And a little more acid, mm-hmm. and then you end up with this tender curd. In paneer, you're purposefully harvesting more proteins by heating that milk to a higher temperature. Ah. So the result becomes a thicker, heavier-bodied curd. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a cheese that you can press and slice and right. used much differently than ricotta. Got it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I try, I try with all these recipes, and especially in the more advanced book, to get people thinking about how the cheese is made versus what it's called. Uh, you know, you can travel throughout the world and stumble across cheeses that look just like what you'd find in another country, mm-hmm. but they don't call them that. So it's it's a, it's hard to shift your paradigm out of, you know, there's Parmesan, there's cheddar, there's Gouda, there's this, there's that, into thinking about, oh, well, if I just, like if I started out, get this, Greg, if you take a cheddar recipe, right, and you do two things different uh-huh. at, towards the end of the process. It's not cheddar get, anymore? It's mozzarella. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's just little tiny differences in technique yeah. and steps. Most folks assume when they go into this that every recipe uses a different starter bacteria mm-hmm. to get the different flavor. Right. But no, you can use the same one in almost all recipes. In my basic book there, I advise you only buying two different types. And it's what you do as the cheesemaker that makes it different. Mm. So, you know, Joe's cheddar is not going to be the same as, as Sue's cheddar. Or Greg's They might cheddar. do a couple things different. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you follow the same recipe. So I'm sitting here, and one of my favorite cheeses is mozzarella. And yeah. I'm sitting here, it's lesson 12. Yes, and this is the quick version Traditional mozzarella takes about six hours to make. Uh-huh. There's a quick version that has a couple shortcuts in it that's a very popular recipe. Uh, some people call it 30-minute mozzarella. Mm. And it, it relies on some shortcuts, as I said, but when it works, and it usually does, uh-huh. <laughs> the result is, is a wonderful, quick version versatile, very tender mozzarella, like the buffalo mozzarella that you would find on a caprese salad. Got it. It's, yeah. So it's, 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 what, it's well worth trying. If you have trouble with it, it can simply be because the milk chemistry is a little different and the shortcut won't allow you to anticipate that. Oh, right. right. Yeah. So if, if it fails, what happens? Can you still eat it? Oh, well, that's the wonderful thing, too. If you've already made those cheeses in the first few lessons, you'll see that what you have now is something with just adding a little more heat to it, uh-huh. you can turn it into ricotta. Uh, got it. Got yeah. it. All right, cool. So, and <laughs> yeah, the, Pretty much the only time that cheese is unsalvageable is if you burn the milk uh, or you kill the bacteria if it's the type of cheese that uses bacteria and right. don't notice in time. Yeah, got it. 
So there's two kinds of mozzarella. There's the hard mozzarella, and then there's the soft mozzarella. Which kind is this quick one? It's the soft, the high-moisture mozzarella. Got it. Oh, so that's how you distinguish it, the difference between high-moisture and low-moisture? Well, yes, but in in between there, there's a spectrum, too, Uh, that you can change how it melts or how it stretches mm -hmm. based on certain other things that you do. Yeah. Uh, so there, it's a it's a fun cheese if you really, really love to talk about chemistry because it's, it's really fascinating the reason that cheese will stretch and the reason it won't stretch mm-hmm. and, you know, the reason cheese melts or doesn't melt. It's all chemistry. It's a great way. I mean, if you have kids or homeschool and you want to do some science and make them actually likely to remember it, making food is a great way to do that. Wow, no kidding. And experiment a lot, right? Yes, yeah. It, treat every every time as an experiment. Yeah. Well, one of my best tips is to get yourself a nice little journal and write down everything about what you did. Oh, right. Oh, my gosh. You absolutely. And I don't do that. I'm calling, <laughs> I'm calling the pot black here for sure, but I, I'm, not, I'm not a good note taker. But uh, that's absolutely one of the best items for success, really, for anything on your urban farm. Uh, For sure. You know, take notes about what you plant, how you plant it, and then how you make all that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think you're going to remember later. Yeah, you won't. But like you said, with the garden, fall will come. You'll harvest (laughs) the best crop of garlic that you ever did, and you won't remember what you planted. Right. Exactly. (laughs) When you planted it. (laughs) And, you know, I always ask when I do these podcasts the first time around, talk about a failure and what to learn from it. I had a major failure of tomatoes. I've been growing tomatoes for 40 years. And I had a major failure of tomatoes this year. What happened? I put them in the wrong spot. Oh. I didn't think... It was too hot. You know, we live in the desert here in Phoenix, Arizona. Right. And I put them... Unthinkingly, I put them in a warmer microclimate. And they just toasted. Poor poor babies. Well, absolutely. (laughs) But I, I tell people this because... You know, I've mm-hmm. been growing food for 41 years now, and still stuff happens. That's sure. where we need to take yeah. the notes. If I would have taken notes on that, I wouldn't have put the tomatoes there. <laughs> yes, and, so. and with cheese making, at least, there will be, you can take a lot of notes, and when you get into the more advanced levels, because you're working with milk, which changes day by day oh, yes. from the animals, yep. you'll have things that go awry that you can never figure out, <laughs> and or you figure out way too late, or you just have to guess at. Yeah. So you, you definitely, for the artist and cheesemaker that's not working with industrial milk, mm-hmm. it's you have to be in the game. You have to like the challenge of change and uh, yeah. enjoy that. But at the basic level, you can just enjoy it. Enjoy it. There you go. There you go. So this lactose-free milk, can we make cheese yeah. out of that? You, you can kind of. Uh-huh. So some types, the type of cheese that you make that relies on bacteria to ferment the milk, mm-hmm. those bacteria break down lactose into its two sugars, glucose and galactose and then ferment those. So lactose-free milk is made one of two ways, either by adding bacteria that do that for you mm. or by adding an enzyme that does that. Uh, the bacteria right. have the enzyme. Yeah. So if you then take that milk and 
add bacteria, you may or may not be meeting their needs. But the thing to remember is you're making lactose-reduced or lactose-free cheese by fermenting it. The bacteria digest oh, right. that sugar, exactly. break it down, yep. and then the longer the cheese ages, the less lactose. Within a few weeks of making a fermented cheese, mm-hmm. so not that quick paneer, not the mascarpone, you have no lactose. Wow. So only the fresh, soft cheeses are going to have some lactose. residual lactose. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and they may not have much of it, and that's the thing with lactose intolerance. It's a spectrum, and if you're not extremely intolerant, then even a fresh cheese is going to have much less lactose in it and might not bother you. Yeah. Perfect. All right, so my listeners know that I always like to throw uh, curveballs out when we're talking. And Uh-oh. Yeah, uh, it'll be easy for you. <laughs> it'll be easy for you. So, oh, good. I want to hear an epic cheese moment. <laughs> hmm. Well, there's one. It's I don't know if it's epic, but it's it's pretty funny. Well, uh, you, you thought of it. So when I said that, so then it qualifies. <laughs> well, and I, and I also thought of it because uh, there's a magazine, a wonderful cheese magazine, if you're into cheese at all, uh-huh. called Culture, the Word on Cheese. Oh, hey, hello. And, um, <laughs> of course, yeah, of yeah. course. I have, I have the good fortune to write a column for them and have done some features for them. But they were searching for, they have this little little section called Great Mistakes. I just happened to have this photograph that my daughter took of me Pouring milk into the vat the very first time, very first time in our brand new creamery, I made cheese. Right. And here's me pouring the milk in, and there's the milk all coming out, the plug at the bottom that <laughs> I'd forgotten to close. <laughs> right. And it's, it, you know, it just all happened so fast, right. and luckily she caught it, but it's like, okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> now I learned that lesson to yeah. close the vat before I yeah, pour exactly. the milk in. Exactly. That and take notes. So, yep. <laughs> one one more thing from your book. Tell us a story, one more thing from either one of your books. A story, huh? <laughs> I'm trying to think of one. <laughs> the only one I can think of that, that pops to my mind first uh-huh. is, and I, for those who know me, they know I, I cry really easily, so I apologize for that. But, um, oh, it's all good. The wonderful good. sharing that cheesemakers did for me in telling me their stories and how they made cheese, and just sharing their lives. There's yeah. a recipe in, in Mastering Artisan Cheese Making called Batro Blue. It's for a blue cheese, and the recipe was supplied in the picture by a dear friend who just died a couple of years ago oh, in Argentina, mm-hmm. a cheesemaker, Pablo Batro. And uh, we felt like we might have been siblings, even though there was a decent mm-hmm. number of years mm-hmm. separating us, because he had written in Spanish books almost the same as mine wow. and we we shared a lot and my husband and I got to go to Argentina and and hang out with him while he made cheese and so you know there's just this community within cheese making that's very giving and very sharing so it's a wonderful field to work in oh I'm sure and yeah so the stories abound nice 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 all right well Oh, there's a note here from Janice. She says, a little, birdie t- a little birdie tells me that you might even come back and talk about yogurt next time. Oh, I would love to do that. Yeah. That's the, 
I'm waiting to hear from the publisher to see if my proposal on yogurt and kefir making gets, gets picked up. And as I, that's another thing that's just chock full of healthfulness and oh, yeah. e- ease when you make it and versatility. And, right. and I've been making yogurt since I was a little girl yeah. with my parents. And I'm part Greek, and we made strained yogurt that they now call Greek yogurt. But <laughs> <laughs> to us, it was just yogurt. And so I, I don't even think of it as being a complicated process. Right. But every time I say that to another yogurt maker, they say, oh, well, then maybe you can answer this for me. And <laughs> I, you, you start realizing that there is complexity to yeah. some of these basic products that mm. maybe you could learn. And I, as I said, I love doing research. So for me, the fun of writing about something is being able to kind of force yourself to learn it, to take yeah. the time and study it and you know, work up your notes and put it into a fashion that you can understand. So yeah. I've got my fingers crossed on that one. Nice. So let's let's distinguish that a little bit because these are all milk products. Uh, so mm-hmm. we've got cheeses and we've got yogurts and kefirs. Right. So give us five minutes on the difference between the three. You'll meet some um, varying definitions of that. For me uh, to be a cheese, in my definition, and many people's, the milk must be concentrated. Mm. So, in other words, you've removed a lot of the liquid from it. So, yogurt and kefir are both 100% yield, as is buttermilk. So, you take the milk, you add the culture, you thicken it, you don't, you never drain it. If you took those that yogurt and drained it, you could have what they call yogurt cheese. So to me, that's the that's the the true nature of the definition. Uh, some folks will say, well, if it's not cultured with starter bacteria, it's not cheese. Mm, but right. you know that that flies in yeah. the face of most most things. So <laughs> cultured, yeah, cultured dairy products include all of those where you've added bacteria. Yeah, yeah, um, and then cool. so yogurt and kefir, I covered them in just very brief in the basic book. Uh-huh because I think they're an important part of learning the steps of all dairy products, mm-hmm. but I didn't cover them in depth. Got it. Got it. So you actually jogged my memory for a question I wanted to ask you, and that's when we were making the cheese, I had a bunch of stuff left over. And Oh, the whey, you mean? Yeah. The liquid. The liquid yeah. stuff left over. It's called whey. What right. do you do with it? So in the basic book, I finally addressed that question because everybody was asking that. Mm -hmm. And for each of the three categories of cheese making, you basically have a different possibility for that whey because of the nature of the whey. So it's going to range from uh, the whey, for example, the whey from making paneer has very little nutritive nutritional value left in it Uh because you've captured most of that in the curd. Right. So it's basically just an acidy liquid, and then you could you can use that anywhere you would use liquid, soup stocks and breads. Oh, so you're uh, actually using it to make food from? You can, and then the the way from but the way from making a fermented cheese is going to have a lot of bacteria and some other good things in it and protein that makes a good food for pigs and chickens. Uh, All right. of them can be used to water acid-loving plants. 
some of it can be used as a fungicide on grapevines, for example. Mm-hmm. But the thing to remember I mean, with all of this is there's a huge amount of whey. You're talking about 80% of the milk in the best case, maybe 90% of what you started with. So at some point, if you're making, say you're making five gallons of milk into cheese, right. you're going to have more whey than you know what to do with. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, for example, we usually, we, we had pig farmers that came and got it, which was great because mm-hmm. they could go through a lot. Uh, here on our own farm, we'll use it to water the garden. We just siphon a hose, you know, down to the garden, which is luckily downhill. Right, and, exactly. And uh, run, it, run it out to plants that need it, compost pile, things like that. You mm-hmm. don't want it in large quantities going down your septic tank or in the sewer, it takes a lot of oxygen to break it down, right. so it's not healthy for those systems. Small amounts, if you're making five gallons a week, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But some people use it for, like, an energy drink, add some flavoring, a lot of, a lot of different things. It's, it's, a, it's a liquid you could drink. But. Wow. All right. Well, I'll have to try that next time I, uh, <laughs> I make way. Very good. Any closing thoughts? Oh, I just hope everybody gives it a try. You know, don't make excuses. I don't worry about having to buy a lot of supplies. Just get those few simple things we mentioned and just try it. It's amazingly rewarding and pretty magical. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the show once again, Gianna Cleese. Thank you, Greg. It was great to be back. Yeah. So, how can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, on my website, giannacleesecaldwell.com. You'll have to spell website it for blog. Yeah. Yeah, G-I-A-N-A-C-L-I-S, Caldwell, with an A, mm-hmm. or Folia Farm, P-H-O-L-I-A, farm.com, and uh, via Facebook. Perfect, perfect, perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org, forward slash making cheese. And if you'd like to hear more about holistic gold care, from Geonocles, you can find our 255th podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash goat care. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Healthy food is something everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, 
head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.